Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Thank you, Alan. Welcome back. It is Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Talking about the fallout from the AG report earlier this week on Governor Andrew Cuomo. And joining us for the second time on Hardline is the minority leader in the Assembly, Assemblyman William Barkley. Uh, Assemblyman, good morning. Welcome back. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Uh, just want to know, uh, to kick things off, the um, your initial reaction to the AG's report this uh, this week. Well, I have a lot of, I guess, mixed emotions. Surprise wasn't necessarily one of them, other than how the report was brought out by the AG. I think, you know, that we, I didn't know it was coming out on Tuesday. And the fact that it was so damning uh, for the governor, I guess I wasn't sure about that. But we'd heard about these potential uh, sexual harassment allegations. So uh, the fact that, and we knew the AG was doing the investigation. So I wasn't shocked, other than, you know, timing's always, I guess, a little bit, uh, you know, surprising. And the fact that how thorough the report was, and as I said, how damning the report was uh, for the governor. And I I do want to say it was great that we had the 11 women uh, that are brave enough to come forward. I imagine that would be very difficult for each one of them. So uh, we should be thankful for their willingness to do that. The other other emotion I felt a little bit was sadness. You know, uh, it is a tragedy for New York State. We've been struggling with so many things. You know, once we came off the disaster of uh, Elliot Spitzer's administration, when the governor came in, I think there were a lot of high hopes for him on both sides of the aisle, not just uh, Democrats, but as a Republican, I had high hopes. And he did show a lot of professionalism when he first came into office, but that has uh, obviously continued to erode. Now I think it's completely eroded. And I think it's just maybe a lost opportunity uh, for all New Yorkers to have someone that could govern maybe from the middle and govern successfully to put good public policy in place. But now he's just gotten so caught, you know, obviously now with these scandals, uh, it's it's almost it's impossible for him to continue on and govern. What did you think of his pre-recorded response that uh, came out about two hours after the report? I thought it was terrible. I thought it was really, I mean, the idea that he's going to start, you know, one, attacking some of the accusers and then try to use a tragedy in his family. Apparently that there was harassment by someone in his family as some sort of shield and protect him from any claims of harassment, I just think uh, was totally wrong. And I was expecting, I didn't know what to expect. I thought maybe, you know, I was hoping he would say he would resign. Obviously, that doesn't seem like that's happening. But I thought maybe just say, you know, hold on, my side of the story is going to be coming. But instead, he, you know, went on 
a long kind of defense of himself, and it just seemed completely tone deaf. That's very disappointing, and I don't think he helped himself at all. You know, so the AJ report comes out Tuesday, uh, and we start hearing the calls for the governor to resign from your colleagues on the left side of the aisle. Where are we when it comes to the impeachment investigation in the assembly? Well, I, there were some some members of in state legislature that said we ought to do a full investigation. I never thought that was completely necessary. You know, the impeachment process, although we want to give people appropriate due process, isn't a criminal trial. It is a political process, and we could have passed an impeachment resolution in this assembly and sent it over, and you would have a trial in the Senate. Now, I don't really begrudge people who want to do a thorough investigation because there is something to be said about that to make sure all your you know, T's are crossed, your I's are dotted, that there isn't any wiggle room that somehow he could get out of this. But now with the AG report, I mean, I don't know what more evidence you need. And it wasn't like the AG was some kind of you know, political hit job. She's from the state. She's a Democrat. She was a political ally of the governor. And it was a pretty comprehensive report. If anybody looked at it, uh, they would know that. So I don't I don't really know what the delay is. I'd like to see it get going. I sort of want to wait a couple more you know, months that say we're going to continue to investigate in the assembly. I think more time that goes on, although now it's a little with the AG report. I, before, I was worried more time would go on and people would sort of lose interest and maybe the governor would somehow hold on. But now with this AG report, I think that would be harder for him to do. But who knows? You know, Things change in politics with a blink of an eye. And uh, so I think we got to move forward with it, move forward with it, uh, forthright. Does the AG report go into part of the evidence for the Assembly's investigation? Yeah, my So, again, uh, the Judiciary Committee and the Assembly is doing the investigation. They didn't have any real limits on what their investigation was going to entail. And certainly the sexual harassment was part of what their investigation was going to do. So I would suspect uh, the AG report would be included in the Assembly's uh, you know, whatever evidence that was in there could be included in the assembly's investigation. It sounds like to me now. You know, we have Republicans on the Judiciary Committee. I think they're doing a terrific job, but it's all confidential, so I'm not privy to exactly what they've investigated and what they, uh, you know, what they found out. But it sounds like they are wrapping up. So let's hope in the next, you know, week at the latest or two weeks uh, that they wrap up and we can move this thing to a vote. Now, I know I'm asking you to, uh, to, to guess here, to say a what if, uh, but if the AG report didn't come out Tuesday, say it didn't come out this month, um, do you think the investigation in the Assembly would have dragged on for months into the future? I, hope, I certainly hope not. And I think our members, at least in my conversations, when I asked you know, how they feel like things are coming along, they felt like there, you know, there was a substantive investigation happening. And so the question is, how long could, if that was a goal by the uh, either chairman of the Judiciary Committee or by the speaker, to drag it out? Um, I, you know, we didn't get that impression that was necessarily the case. It seemed like they were really trying to do a thorough investigation. But if it went on for months, you know, I, I think our members would have questioned. I certainly would have questioned what's going on here. Speaking of the the thorough investigation, and like I, like you said, we have the AG report now. Uh, should we see any movement on impeachment this week? Maybe not a vote, but getting close to a vote, getting close to articles by the end of this week. Let's hope so. I, I, honestly, I do think, and I, it's not just because I'm a Republican. I just like the governor. It's I really think the state we got some really serious issues that have to be dealt with. Obviously, the resurgence, maybe the COVID uh, pandemic being the number one of them. 
And we talk about, you know, I just was doing an interview. Someone asked me about, you know, guidance for schools and whether they can come back. Well, you know, we're a very strong executive branch in New York State. If you don't have a strong leader or leader on that, uh, I think a lot of things go lacking. And so I would prefer the governor just resign and be done with it, and we can move forward from that. But, again, if he doesn't look like he's inclined to, then we ought to go ahead and do this impeachment um, uh, uh, vote in the assembly and move ahead with the articles of impeachment and have the trial in the Senate. So uh, that could happen soon. I hope it will, and I'm going to continue to advocate uh, for my position to say let's do this sooner rather than later. I do have a few uh, COVID questions for you, but my last question uh, with, with this all happening in Albany is if the governor were to resign or be impeached, Kathy Hochul, local uh, Western New Yorker, would be uh, the governor. What are your thoughts on the lieutenant governor? Well, I, as an upstater myself, I guess I see that as a positive. At least she knows the geographic area. I'm from Oswego County. She has visited Oswego County <laughs> quite a bit, so I, I do appreciate uh, that perspective that she may have. Um, I think, you know, one of the questions that need to be asked of her, and hopefully they do, is what did she know, you know, was whether it's with the harassment or the nursing home uh, cover-up or, you know, the government employees working uh, potentially on the governor's book. Did she know any of that? And there's no reason that I think she – maybe she didn't. That's fine. But she should uh, obviously come out and strongly condemn that. And then I think, you know, there's something about being said with uh, someone new coming in, you know, with – with the, with the um, Governor Cuomo staff, I, I think she probably would need to clean house and put her own people in there because I think some of these uh, staff of the Governor Cuomo are tainted by all these scandals, too. Now, moving on to COVID, like you said, we also have uh, COVID in the news a lot this week. And the state of New York said that they're not going to issue guidance on schools. Um, So going forward in September, should we see all state schools back in person five days a week? I hope so. Uh, I certainly think the, the the negatives of not doing a school far outweigh currently what the negatives of you know the risk of the pandemic. There isn't a lot of science out there showing that uh, schools are you know real hotbeds of um, transmittable you know COVID disease. So I, I even thought last year they should have been back in you know pretty clearly. But certainly going forward, and uh, maybe there's some. Um, protocols that the state ought to be put in, but that's why we really need uh, leadership. I don't think we should be mandating things, certainly not masks. I think that's been problematic. But some of that stuff can be left up to the individual school districts because the pandemic or the virus, as you know, affects different areas differently. So it hasn't been as intense in some areas, and maybe they don't need as strict uh, protocols as they would somewhere where the pandemic's, you know, hopefully it's not kicking back in. But if it is, uh, let them make those decisions. You know, last year, last March, we were talking about hospitalizations. It was all about flattening the hospitalization curve. Uh, now, with vaccines, with much of the eligible people, or more than half of the eligible eligible people in New York State being vaccinated, uh, it seems like cases are what we're counting um, to not make restrictions, but to make guidance. And I think a lot of people are seeing this and saying, well, you know, if I'm vaccinated and test positive, I count as a a case. Um, Do you think the metrics we're looking at, a lot of people are concerned that we're looking at these metrics and eventually it's going to turn into mandates and restrictions throughout the state. Uh, Do you see if there are any restrictions and mandates put back in place that that would be based on cases or would that be based on hospitalizations? 
I think your point's very well taken. It has been sort of a sliding scale here, what, what we're trying to accomplish. That was originally for the shutdown and all the, you know, stay-in-place type uh, mandates that came out was because we want to get the hospitalizations under control. That no longer seems like that necessarily is the, um, you know, the, the scale that we're using. It seems like now we're just saying we're just trying to not get people infected by COVID, which Obviously, we want to keep the confection in check, and we don't think we want to go crazy. But I think ultimately, there's going to be some risk involved here, and people. But I think people have to live their lives. If there's some, in, you know, minor inconveniences that we can lower the infection rates, great. We should we shouldn't be afraid to do that. I also encourage people to get vaccinated, but I don't think we ought to mandate a vaccination. I think there's a real issue with personal privacy doing that. So yeah, so I, I think we and certainly need to push back, and it looks like you know. The, the government's placing mandates, and there's not really done other than just to try to prevent anyone from catching COVID, which you know I think is probably unrealistic. Right. That that was my my next my next question was is the state's goal to completely get rid of COVID because that just seems like you said unrealistic. I think it's more. Uh, are we going to look more to gearing life with COVID always being here? Yeah, you know, maybe. I hope not. I mean, it would be, we felt pretty happy during the summer, obviously, before this Delta variant came out, that maybe we were going to be at the end of this, and maybe COVID was going to be a, you know, memory, a, you know, a, a bad memory. But uh, who knows? But again, you know, we take a lot of risk in life, and we have to go on and live our lives. And again, doing these, as you know, doing these shutdowns and some of these more uh, stringent type mandates coming out of the government, the, the negatives of those are worse than the actual, you know, the cure you're trying to, you know, impl- implement. So uh, there has to be a balance. And sometimes, unfortunately, in government, we lose that balance. Assemblyman William Barkley, the minority leader in the Assembly, thank you so much for joining us here on Hardline today. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it. William Barkley, his second time on Hardline, hopefully not his final time. Always good to catch up with the minority leader and see what is going on in Albany, uh, as you heard him say, you know, a lot about what is next in this investigation. The AG report used now in the assembly investigation, and it seems like, hey, by the end of this week, by the end of next week, maybe we will um, see either the articles written up, a vote, but we will definitely see, I think, activity on this. Uh, this, this isn't going anywhere, as you now see the criminal investigation in Albany uh, announced yesterday by the uh, Albany Sheriff's Office. Uh, So this is far from over. And um, the other things people are worrying about, you know, COVID-19 restrictions. I did a show on Friday, and my question was, what are you more scared of, the virus itself or restrictions? And again, I'm not, as the assemblyman said, and as uh, the GOP chair said, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to go on here and tell everyone to get the vaccine. I don't know you. I don't know your health. That's for you and your doctor or for you to make that decision. That's not for me to tell you. Now, I would urge people to get the vaccine, but it's not for me to tell you what to do. However, with a vaccine out there and all this, these scare tactics around the Delta variant, you still see that those who are vaccinated are staying out of the hospital and avoiding fatal cases, right? I mean, it's extremely rare that a vaccinated person ends up in the hospital. So this isn't something we can compare to last year. And we are seeing cases go through the, through the roof, but we're not seeing hospitalizations be at where they were last year here in the state. You know, w- what's the metric? And I would tell you, and I'm not a doctor. This is not a medical opinion. This is not a medical opinion. This is a guy who gets paid to be on the radio. 
Um, but I would say if you're vaccinated and you're not in the hospital, why get a test? Why add to the case? You know, Anthony Rizzo is now, and I'm not a Yankees fan, I'm a Mets fan, but Anthony Rizzo is on the IL for COVID-19. Is he vaccinated? If he's vaccinated, why is he on the IL? Just like with Frank Wright. The guy has an asymptomatic case of COVID-19. He's a vaccinated, asymptomatic case. Why is he in quarantine? Why does he count as a case? That is the vaccine working. If you have a mild case of COVID vaccinated, that is the vaccine working. Like Dr. Adalja said, this isn't the, it's not just zapping the virus as soon as it, as soon as it hits your nose. But if you do not have a, a hospitalization or fatal case of COVID, that is the vaccine working. And it's this mixed messaging uh, that I think is confusing a lot of people. And we are going to talk to our next guest about the mixed messaging coming out, not of only the White House. We've got to be fair to the Biden administration. It's not just the White House. Uh, I think it's a lot of Nash, uh, federal and local government agencies, um, this mixed messaging and confuse, confusing messaging uh, when it comes to the vaccine. So we are going to talk with our next guest, Nick Rathod, about COVID-19, of course, about the governor uh, on a national view, and also COVID-19 and where we could see restrictions, where we could see the nation move next as we see cases, and I think that needs to be emphasized, as we see cases rise in certain parts of the country. It's Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Don't miss... We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Beamaz and Beamer, we're back together tomorrow after uh, doing separate shows on Friday. Back together tomorrow at 9. So uh, we promise to bring you an entertaining program. At the very least, uh, we'll be entertained.
So does that count as an entertaining program if the hosts are entertained? Welcome back to Hardline, the final segment here on News Radio 930 WBEN. So much going on locally, so much going on nationally. And our next guest, uh, he knows a thing or two uh, about politics and being in important houses at the time, uh, be it the White House. It is Nick Rathode. He was uh, President Barack Obama's special assistant and deputy director uh, during the Obama administration. Nick, welcome uh, to Hardline. Uh, thanks for having me on, Joseph. It's great to be here. It's great to speak with you, and I want to talk, obviously, here in New York State, the talk is Governor Cuomo. Uh, I just want to know your thoughts on uh, the AG report and the fallout you're seeing, uh, not only here in New York State, but from Senators Chuck Schumer and Kristen Gillibrand. Yeah, you know, so it's interesting. I actually worked for Governor Spitzer um, when he was embroiled in his own scandal, and so being on the inside is very difficult, and, you know, just watching it unfold, there's a lot of PTSD I'm experiencing from from those years. Uh, but, you know, Cuomo really doesn't have many more options left. I think, you know, he's he's probably huddled with his team, uh, clearly trying to figure out what to do. I think he has um, a little bit of time here to try to pr- 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 provide some defense um, as the legislature is considering, uh, you know, his impeachment. But, you know, it, it, he's pretty much a dead man walking, I think, at this point. And, uh, you know, the political class, uh, as you you know, alluded to, I think, in New York are sort of circling the wagons and thinking about, you know, how, what's next uh, for the state, for the governorship there, uh, because, you know, I don't think anyone wants to get tied uh, up uh, close to him, especially looking going into the midterms and uh, 2024. So, you know, I think he should do the right thing, resign and, and just step away from this and spend time uh, reflecting on what he did. <laughs> now, looking at being in that situation, right, being in the uh, the governor's mansion, um, those conversations, do those conversations at any time in, involve members of the assembly, members of the Senate? Is this the kind of thing that if it goes another week or so, we might see President Biden uh, make a call urging, and I know he's made a call publicly, but making a call to Governor Cuomo himself urging him to resign? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think for the party's sake, for the country's sake, that the longer this lingers, the longer he's holding out, the more damaging politically it is, not only to, to Democrats in the state, but nationally to be tied up and caught up with him. So, yes, I am sure uh, he is fielding and receiving calls from members of uh, the leadership in the legislature, national, federal leaders, Schumer, others, I'm sure, are talking with him now um, and both, you know, h- how can he try to step away, um, you know, hold it, you know, saving some face without totally, totally tearing everyone down along with him. So that's definitely happening. And I'm sure those conversations are, are not fun for him, but um, you know, uh, this is something he needs to be doing right now. Yeah, very interesting to see that play out. You mentioned uh, Senator Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. We're also talking about this infrastructure deal, which, you know, Nick, it seems every time I turn on the news, they're telling me it's close to getting passed. Oh, it's stalling again. Oh, it's getting passed again. And then you hear people on both sides of the aisle complain about the bill itself. Uh, so where are what, what is in this infrastructure bill? And are we eventually going to see this thing pass? Yeah, you know, so watching the Senate and the procedures and the rules there is just, uh, it's the worst. It's so slow. It's so archaic. And, 
you know, uh, for the people of New York, you know, uh, Chuck Schumer has done a masterful job of being able to move this forward, especially in a bipartisan way. So you have members of both sides of the aisle now supporting the bill. And last night um, they moved past uh, the filibuster. They voted past it, and it's now in the final throes of it. Uh, they're now debating amendments. There's about 30 hours left of that. Um, they could expedite it if all 100 senators voted towards it, but uh, one senator out of um, Tennessee, Haggerty, has decided that you know they want he wants to continue to debate on these amendments and, and not do that. So. Um, you know, we're looking now at probably a Tuesday time frame for this to actually get passed. And, and it will get passed because what's in it uh, are really, really critical things that have been just lingering uh, for the country, including, uh, you know, d- dollars for, um, you know, clean water, for rail, for transit, for infrastructure like roads and airports and that sort of thing. And that's something I, you know, it, it, it's great that um, both sides are getting behind that because the country really needs it. And I think the country also needs to see that Washington can still work on some things. Uh, and having a bipartisan bill passed, I think, is really, really important. And it'll be great to see it when it when it actually does happen here in the next few days. You know, Nick, it's interesting to see bipartisan work in Washington because you go on Twitter and it's anything but. Uh, do you think, you know, over the next few weeks, we see any more bipartisan work in Washington other than this infrastructure bill? Well, that's the hope, you know, that uh, once this gets through and there's a little bit of muscle memory there, I think people have just lost sight of this thing and easy to get kind of bogged down on on partisanship and, uh, you know, moving into your own quarters. Maybe the process around this can provide a template for, for the next thing. I know that they're you know, trying to work out a more uh, moderate sort of uh, uh, version of the voting rights bill that failed. Um, and, um, and, and perhaps there's a way to maybe get some Republicans onto that. And, um, you know, there may be some other things that are, that are less sort of uh, problematic or controversial for Republicans to, to get behind. Because I, I, I think we're at a point in time in the country where people need it and they're seeing it. And, you know, in, in this COVID environment where the economy is kind of tanking, where we've, we're seeing uh, our infrastructure crumbling, where there is just so much partisanship, it is refreshing to see people working together, and hopefully they'll be rewarded for that. You, you mentioned the, uh, the voting rights bill, and, you know, looking both at the Democrats and Republicans, uh, what are some things that you think members of both parties would be willing to uh, take away from the bill, um, maybe put in the bill to satisfy the other party? I mean, where could we get where could we go to see that be a bipartisan bill? Yeah, so um, there are two kind of versions of it, and one of them is uh, what's being referred to as the John Lewis Voting Rights Bill. And in that, it's basically providing legal legal protections for people to be able to exercise their right to vote. That was taken away in this decision called Shelby um, that um, basically gutted the Voting Rights Act. And I think there are some things in there that both Republicans and Democrats can agree on that would just protect and, uh, and, and sort of uh, hold sacrosanct the right to vote in this country. Um, even states like Georgia and Texas and others have uh, expanded the number of days to be able to vote. Um, and, and in conservative parts of the country, that's something that's been happening. Um, and so there are a few things like that where I do think that there is some common ground, and hopefully that they can come around and, and, and both sides can support.
You mentioned COVID as well, and we're starting to see this new variant. And, you know, Nick, uh, one thing with politics that we've seen is literally everything is politicized. You know, we just talked about hopefully getting to bipartisanship in Washington, uh, but it seems like everything's politicized, including COVID itself. And we are seeing this new variant, um, and we're seeing the people who are unvaccinated still kind of holding back. I've got a few questions, and this isn't, you know, to go after just the Biden administration or just Republicans, but do you think that some of the messaging around the vaccine from elected officials uh, has contributed at all to the rate of unvaccination? I think so. I mean, you know, first of all, to your first point, it's the most ridiculous thing that this thing has been politicized. You know, I, I, I thought I was thinking, like, what, what are ways as a country we can come together? And it would be around something like a common enemy. And there's nothing more uh, sort of of a threat to our humanity than this pandemic. And yet we're unable to get out of our corners and uh, out of our own boxes and have politicized it. That has made something like wearing a mask to protect yourself and your loved ones a problem uh, in the country or vaccinations or whatever it is. It's just completely absurd. And it is a lot of the rhetoric that is coming out of, you know, certain sectors, conservative channels mostly, you know, that are uh, peddling this like uh, this this nonsense around vaccinations and uh, mask wearing and that sort of thing that I think has, has created a, an environment that certain people who are naturally inclined to maybe have a little bit of a healthy distrust of government um, are now fully distrustful of, of, of a vaccination. Um, and and, and um, other segments of the country just are doing it on sort of purely political grounds and not really thinking about the rest of us. So, yeah, I, you know, unfortunately, the rhetoric has just, just ratcheted it up. The example set by certain, especially Republican governors in places like Florida uh, and Arkansas and elsewhere um, is just abhorrent as public uh, officials and people who are entrusted with, with, with public health and safety um, to be behaving that way, that it has created, unfortunately, this like situation where um, vaccinations have been politicized and, and uh, we're all suffering as a result of it. Looking at the Biden administration, do you see, I mean, obviously, you know, vice, uh, you know, President Joe Biden, you, you, you worked with him when he was vice president. Do you uh, see the Biden administration putting any kind of federal either mandates or restrictions in place in the next month? Well, we're at this point, you know, where. Uh, you know, the Krispy Kreme donut offers <laughs> and the offers for alcohol have sort of run its course. And there is a need to take a look at mandating. Uh, and, and they're starting to move in that direction. As you've probably seen, they've required federal workers to get vaccinations. Um, and and other states are stepping up now and doing something similar. You're also seeing kind of the private sector uh, also stepping in and requiring you to, you know, perhaps have a vaccination to eat at a restaurant or uh, um, go to a bar and things like that. So that to me seems like the next phase of this. Um, and it is the direction I think both the government and private sector are heading into. You know, I want to go back to uh, talking about vaccinations because I am someone who is uh, is vaccinated, uh, got the Moderna. I'm very uh, open with that. I, I urge everyone to go get that to get the vaccine. But, you know, we look at breakthrough cases and I, I know this is more the CDC than uh, any of the political entities. Uh, but we see breakthrough cases and, and we're looking at, you know, people who are vaccinated and asymptomatic and we're calling them a case. Do you think that 
contributes to some of the mixed messaging because I look at someone like a Lindsey Graham who had the vaccine, got a very mild case of COVID. I look at that as the vaccine working, but I think a lot of people look at that and it turns them against the vaccine. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think people need to understand that there is still a chance to, you know, that you can get the, the, the virus, especially, uh, you know, with the Delta variant where, where the viral load is so, so much more significant than the first iteration of the, of the, of the virus. Um, but it really, I think, where we should be focused is the fact that you're not going to die. You know, it would be an extreme, extreme circumstance that you got it a second time after being vaccinated or got it a first time after being vaccinated and and pass away or even hospitalized from it. So this is something that will prevent you from getting sick, from um, dying from from the disease. And um, that is where I think the focus should be, because there there, you know, as, as you mentioned, there are stories of people. Uh, getting it even even though um, even though they've been vaccinated, but um, really the emphasis should be on on you're you're not going to die <laughs> from it, and and you know uh, I, I think that 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 could be and that should be and will be a compelling message. Yeah, that's that's the, uh, that's the message I I hope to get out. I hope a lot of people jump on that message. Like you said, you could still get it, but it's going to keep you out of the hospital and it's going to keep it from being a fatal case. Now, Nick, I I know it's only August 2021. We're trying to enjoy summer, uh, but you know this is a political magazine show, and I have to press the fast forward button to 2022. Now, you as someone who's been on the Democrat side of politics, um, what are Democrats looking forward to in 2022, and what are they fearing in 20? 2022 uh, for the midterm elections? Yeah, you know, that, that's a really great question. I think there's a few things. So first is, you know, I, I think the fear is that there's an apathy um, in the country and that people uh, are, you know, sort of tired of, of just politics. Uh, and I, I, which is why I think the infrastructure bill, voting rights, those things are so critical to get over the finish line, especially for Democrats. Because, you know, they can't keep asking voters, especially voters of color, who have, you know, basically carried the party party to this point and allowed for these majorities to happen to say, oh, yeah, no, we had control of the presidency. We had control of the Senate. We had control of the House. But we weren't able to do anything. Um, vote for us again. And, and this time we'll do it. You know, and so I do think that they need to make a case um, that is beyond just Donald Trump, you know, is a bad guy. And the person I'm running against, you know, likes Donald Trump. I think that is getting tired and there's fatigue, I think, amongst the voting class around that stuff. They want to see results. And now that we've given, you know, the party majorities, they need to deliver on those on those things that, that they promised. So I think that is going to be critical to folks. It'll be interesting to see also how the Donald Trump factor actually does play into this, you know, whether he is a factor uh, in in um, in uh, in voting and whether he can motivate people, especially the base of conservatives, to turn out. Um, th- that will be interesting. The other thing that I think has we're kind of starting to see, and it's played out a little bit here in Virginia where I'm at, um, and we saw it in Ohio recently, was that a lot of the uh, progressive wing of the party are losing in races to more moderates and. What maybe that could be potentially signaling is that the base and I think the rest of the country are in this mindset um, of, of maybe more moderation, maybe more getting things done, maybe more working uh, across the aisle. 
and um, having a bipartisan bill to point to, um, I think could also be helpful in the midterms for the for the Democrats. So those are some of the things I'm I'm watching right now. Nick, I wasn't planning to ask this question, but you mentioned Virginia. My whole family's from Virginia, so obviously I keep my eye on their politics. Terry McAuliffe is running for what would be a second term. You have to sit one out to run again. Uh, how's his campaign uh, looking, and who's the Republican that he'll be running against? Yeah, so uh, the Republican is a guy named Glenn Youngkin. Uh, he's a conservative. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, he uh, on his face is very appealing, especially to the voters here in Virginia. He's pro-business, which in our state, um, the Commonwealth here in Virginia is number one to do business in. So it's a very business friendly state. Uh, he was a co-CEO of, of the Carlisle Group, which is this big private equity firm. Uh, and, you know, he's he's independently wealthy, so he can self-fund his race. And, you know, he doesn't come off as absolutely nuts. Uh, and and uh, those things uh, seem to be resonating some here. So the race is actually pretty tight. Terry McAuliffe has, you know, great brand and uh, name ID. He did a lot of good things as governor here. Um, you know, it's just a question of whether, whether voters want to take a chance on this other guy, whether there's Terry McAuliffe fatigue in the Commonwealth. Um, and and really, honestly, like whether he's able to turn out the base of Democrats, I think there are progressives here that were um, a little upset with Terry McAuliffe running again because there were two black women, uh, two state legislators here that were running um, that he sort of pushed out of the way <laughs> to, um, to to win the primary. Um, uh, you know, through money and organizing, that sort of thing. He legitimately did it. But I think people were frustrated because they wanted to see some new leadership in the state. So there's a lot of dynamics playing out here. Um, and it will be a very interesting race to watch because I think it'll signal uh, or send signals for the midterms as well as, um, you know, what's, what's, what might happen in 2024. All right. And the final question I have for you, you might not have an answer and that's okay, but September 3rd, heading down to Blacksburg, Virginia for the big home opener against UNC. Will it be full capacity? Uh, you know, people are dying to, to watch some football and, um, you know, be outside. I, you know, I, I think with some protocols in place, mass uh, and that sort of thing, you might see it at full capacity. Uh, but otherwise in a normal uh, environment, yeah, as you know, Blacksburg would be totally, totally packed. <laughs> oh, good. I can't wait to hear uh, Inner Sandman and uh, hopefully pull an upset to kick off the season. Nick Rathode, thank you so much for joining me on Hardline this morning. Uh, thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. That is Nick Rathode. He was uh, President Barack Obama's – I always, I always lose the page I'm supposed to be reading from. He was – uh, President Barack Obama's special assistant and deputy director uh, during his uh, – while President Obama was in the White House, and it was nice to get his perspective on things. You know, as I always say, we try to get everyone's opinion here on Hardline. You want my opinion? You can listen to me during the week. That's when you'll get my opinion on things. On Hardline, we try to get opinions from the right and from the left, and I was happy we were able to do that. Thank you to all my guests today. We will be back here next Sunday, and we'll be back here tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. here on News Radio 930 WBEN. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.